We all read with me. Luke 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world would be reg- should be registered. This was the first re- registration when the Aquarius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered with each of his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to the firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place in the inn. In this same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, be and for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that, with, that will be with you and all people. For unto you a Savior is born in the, day of the, in the city of David, um, a Savior is born who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, and suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of heavenly hosts um, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angel went away from them into the heaven, and the shepherds said one to another, Let us go and over to to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened with the Lord and that he has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger, and when they saw him, they made known and saying that they had heard of what they had been told and concerning this child. And with all who heard, it wondered of what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up all those things and pondered them with her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all of he had done and heard and seen. And it had been told to them. And at the end of the eight days, when he saw that was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the truth of your word as we are reminded of when you stepped out of the throne room of heaven and into the reality where, where the incarnation God made flesh took place for us. I thank you for all that this story means in the lives of so many folks here. I thank you for all that you want and you intend this story to mean for every single one of us. So God, I'm asking as we come, as we celebrate Advent, as we celebrate you, you would help us all to love you more. Those of us here who know you, who call you Father, who have a relationship with you through your son, Jesus Christ, who was born in a manger, Would you help us to leave here more in love with you? For those of us here who who don't know you, who are far from you, who wrestle with you, who don't like you, who distrust you, who perhaps think we know you but are just so clouded in like a cultural understanding of Christianity, would you set souls free? If you're here and you have a faith, I'd love for you to take the next 10 seconds and pray that God would use this time in your life to strengthen it.
would please take another 10 seconds, pray for me. Pray that I would be helpful. Pray that I would be useful to the master. Lord, we love you. We thank you for today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, y'all, welcome to Springs Community Church. My name is John. I serve as the lead pastor here, and I am so excited to be with you guys. One of the things, if you've been hanging out at the Springs for the past few months or past few years, you've probably picked up on this if you've gotten to know me. I love Christmas. Like, hands down, the entire season. You know how everybody freaks out when Starbucks releases pumpkin spice lattes? Right? Okay, if not, you know you've done this before, right? I freak out about pumpkin spice lattes because I know what comes after it. It's like absolute Christmas joy, lights everywhere. How do you set stuff out? How do you get to see family? There's food. And man, here's the thing. I've loved Christmas for years. Like I have loved and appreciated Christmas in two categories of my life. Before I was a follower of Jesus Christ, and since I became a follower of Jesus Christ. See, my family, I was so blessed. My parents, growing up, we would go, we were part of this uh, a Methodist church in my hometown. And one of the things that I loved is every Christmas Eve, we'd go to this service, right? We would go towards the evening. We'd be with family. A lot of times, I grew up in Georgia. We'd drive to Indiana. So my cousins would be with us, my aunt, my uncle, my grandparents. We'd go to the candlelight service. Everyone would get ready, and we'd go. You get dressed up, and every year, and I mean this in the most glorious way, it was the same message. And every year, and I mean this in the most glorious way, it was the same liturgy, the procession of stand down, or excuse me, stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down. Every year, it was the same. Joy to the world, hark the herald, O come all ye faithful, O holy night silent night. Every year there was the moment where even as a kid, and I can remember I was the age where I finally got my own, my own candle. Like if you grew up in church, you totally get what I'm talking about. If you didn't, don't worry about it. You can come hang out this Christmas Eve. We'll give you a candle. But they give you a candle, right? And you get to hold it. And there's this moment where people light it and you pass it. And it's just cool getting to hold fire in church because you wouldn't think those two things would go together. And they totally went together. And you would just stand there. And then I can remember the moment where we'd sing this song and by silent night, you look around because all these candles are lit and it's this beautiful moment. And then all of a sudden you realize, wow, it is really hot in here. And like people are starting to get like sweaty, but thankfully the service is about to end. And then you get to go. And the next day there's presents in family. And the whole thing was this beautiful nostalgia like, I connected it with the reality of, like, family and tradition and gathering and community. And I connected with all of that. I have loved Christmas for a long time. And then there came a point in my life where Christmas changed. There came a point in my life where when I went, and I can remember, man, I can remember for me it was 2011, I can remember I'd become a follower of Jesus Christ. I'd grown up around Jesus, but I never knew Jesus. I'd grown up around this Christmas story. I never understood the Christmas story, how, how God in heaven, born of flesh in a manger, came to live a perfect life, to die a death on a cross for me. 
I never knew how Christmas is the lead up to Easter, how there is no Easter without Christmas, how the only reason we have Christmas is because Easter's coming. And I can remember going back, singing in particular the songs, and there was this total change. Because if you ever had a song that you sing, right, you know the melody, you know the words, you know the tune, you know the chorus, you can follow along, but perhaps you know the song so well, what you don't really do is connect with the lyrics. You don't really think about what you're actually singing. And then you have the moment, you're like, that's what that says? Right, I imagine you've had that for songs where it like brings you closer to God and then songs where you're like, I should probably not listen to this song anymore. I can remember coming back, knowing Christ, and coming across these songs and thinking, the majesty that is in these, this is what I want to sing. The reason I start with that is we're starting a new Advent series today. We're calling this series the Songs of the Season. Well, we are going to look at three of, of perhaps the most famous or most popular but classic Christmas carols. This week, we're, we're going to look at the one, O Come, All Ye Faithful. Next week, if you're here with us then, excuse me, we're going to look at Hark the Herald, and then Christmas Eve, we're going to come, and we're going to reflect on O Holy Night. The reason I'm so excited today to jump into O Come, All Ye Faithful is really, for those of you, if you know the song, right? You'll, you'll connect with this. If not, we'll, we'll work through it. And we'll teach it to you. This song, it is an appeal to something. It is a call to something. It's an appeal for a heart of worship. Oh, come, let us adore. This entire song is meant to evoke in you and evoke in me in the reality of Christmas. I've come, and I'm here to adore a king born in a manger, for me in this time of, time of year, especially with, with family and busyness and jobs and year-end and everything that comes, I, I can tend to, even though I have the privilege of doing what I do, even though I'm forced to structure into my life by God's grace the reminder to slow down for Advent, there's still this drift towards distraction. There's still this drift towards busyness. Like I imagine for many of us, it, it's figuring out, okay, family's coming in. Do we have enough beds? How do we get enough food? Hey, for some of us, it's, man, I need to finish finals, survive, and get through. Some of us, I imagine it's the reality of, okay, man, I, I need to buy presents. Why? Because I'm supposed to buy presents. Why? Because presents supposedly communicate how much I love people. And then the nervousness that comes in of, okay, how do, how do I buy presents? The stress of year-end job results and reviews, budgets, what happens. Like why I'm so excited to start with O Come All Ye Faithful is because it appeals for a heart of worship in Advent season. It appeals that as we come to Christmas to fight this drift, fight this tendency of distraction. And I'm not saying all that distraction is wrong, by the way. I'm just saying it is. And so how do we come out of that? How do you come sincerely? How do I come sincerely in this Advent season? H have a heart that remembers, yeah, man, joy for family, joy for food, joy for presence, joy for gathering, joy for lights as you drive down a dark street at night. But it's a season to come. It is a season to adore. And that's why we're gonna look at O Come All Ye Faithful today.
we're going to look at this song. We're breaking out into three stanzas. It's the most famous stanzas. Depending on how you look at it, this song, there's up to six of them. We're going to look at three. Could we have included more? Yes, but we are going to look at three. What I love about this, even as you go back and you understand a little bit of the history of this song, people, people argue over who exactly wrote it. I'm going to tell you who I think. His name's John Francis Wade. What was neat about, I'm just going to call him John, right? About 1750, there was a rebellion in England. That's where he lived. He had to flee England into France. He was a part of a community of British exiles. They went into France, and he was a music teacher. He, he loved the reality of poetry and melody in combining the two. He was a music teacher, and he went and he taught music at this school for British exiles in France. 1760 was the first year, the first stanza of these lyrics, O Come All Ye Faithful, was published. The reason I start, though, by sharing where it came from is, is we're doing something different than we've ever done here at the Springs since I've had the privilege of being here. We're going to spend our time talking through art. We're going to spend our time talking through poetry. We're going to spend our time talking through something that's beautiful, but it is not divine. Here's why this matters. One of the things that we're going to try to do today is we're going to come and look at this composing mixture of melody and poetry and pull from that this sense of holiness that's meant to create in us a heart of worship. But what's different is, is we go to teach, is we go to look at this song. This song is not the authoritative, is not the infallible, always true, ever right, every word of God proves true, Scripture. Does that mean that you can't pull wonderful things from it? No, not at all. That's why I'm so excited to talk about it. But one of the things you have to know as we go to do this, it, it's kind of like me looking at art, right? Like me looking at art, I can come in an attempt to have like this existential thought of, you know, when I look at the Mona Lisa, I really envision she's caught in the midst of this tension in society where she's attempting to navigate the reality of the life she lives, but eclipsed from the natural background of all that exists in her world in the midst of the Renaissance. And man, I'm just making stuff up, right? And then there's the other side. I have no idea why people argue over why the Mona Lisa is the Mona Lisa, but maybe Da Vinci just got paid a ton of money to do some self-portrait and he tilted her at an angle so she could do, be the first one to get like the selfie pose where you kind of stretch out your neck fat. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Yeah, shout out to neck fat, right? Mona Lisa literally started that. I, I use that, though, as, man, you can come and pull that out, but, but you never really know, and you're mining in something that in and of itself, it's not at its root holy. So while we give that clarifier, what I want that to point you to is you can trust your Bible, but what I want this to be is, man, we can absolutely find things that while they in and of themselves are not holy, they draw us to holiness. And so that's what we're going to focus the time. We're going to break out these stanzas into three themes the first one, it's just this call every time to come and the door, to come and the door. But the first stanza, it's how we come. We come in triumph. The second is what we do. We sing in exultation. And then the third is why we glory in Christ. So we're going to put the lyrics to the song up behind me. I'm going to read through them, this first stanza. Now, one of the things when I read this, especially as I've practiced this, you like want to break out into song, but for your sake, I will not 
do that. This first section, O Come All Ye Faithful by John Wade. O come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. O come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold him, born the king of angels. And and now we get to the chorus. Now you get to this appeal. And I'm going to read it all every time. O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him. Who do we adore? Christ the Lord. In this first stanza, as we look at this appeal, as we look at this call to in the midst of Christmas, to focus, to plead for a heart of worship, to plead, to come and adore. First thing we're looking at is how we do that. We come in triumph. One of the things that I loved at the beginning of the time when we read through Luke 2, you got to see a breakdown from Luke's perspective of the narrative of the Christmas story. There's this amazing progression throughout the Christmas story of who comes to Jesus Right? Honestly, there's a lot of misconception in who and how and when, and then magi show up and you got camels and you have shepherds, but who was there before and what is the in and what is not? But what I want to focus on is who is invited to come. The song starts out, O come, all ye faithful. The first invitation of this song is a plead to anyone here who as you come in Christmas, Your heart says, I come in Christmas, yes, celebrating the joy of family tradition and all that it has come to culturally mean. But the reason I'm here is because God took on flesh for me. The reason I'm here is the king born of angels has come. And what's fascinating as you look at the narrative is who comes, when they come. One of the things that would have been true Mary in pregnancy, they would have been coming from Nazareth. They would have had to travel to Bethlehem. If you know the story, they had to go to Bethlehem because there was a census to be taken. Joseph had to return to Bethlehem with his betrothed Mary because that was his hometown. He's from the city of David, the line of King David. That was about a 90 to 100 mile walk. You don't know exactly from the text where exactly Mary would have been in the pregnancy, but here's what we know. They walk, and then immediately upon getting there, immediately upon getting there, they're trying to find, there's no room at the inn. They're trying to find space. Where can she deliver? Where can she have a baby? So a lot of scholars, you come and you think, okay, man, she's eight weeks pregnant, or excuse me, eight months pregnant, ready to deliver. A hundred miles at that point, someone could have probably walked about 20 miles a day. Now you put someone in late-term pregnancy, they imagine she did 10. He likely would have had a donkey to help take her. But they show up to the town, they register, there's no room at the inn, and where do they go? They find a place to put a baby in a manger. A manger literally means feeding trough, right? Many times before an inn or before a house, because some people think it was at a relative's house, and by an inn, it, it literally means there's just no guest rooms. There's no place for you to sleep. Why? All the family had to come back for the census, for the registration, so there's no space So down below, oftentimes, cut out beneath the house in a cave, there would have been a place for the animals to stay. These animals would have been primarily donkeys for travel or sheep for keeping. And it literally would have been Joseph 
coming and moving the straw, moving the muck out of a feeding trough, cleaning it out best as he can, going to a corner to find clean straw to replace that, to put padding down. One, for Mary to lie to deliver the Christ child, and then two, to place him in the manger. So who are the first people to come? Mary and Joseph. Who are the second? Probably some donkeys and some sheep. Who are the third? I imagine in the midst of delivery, right? If you've been through that experience, I haven't been through, but watched, right? She would have been very, let's just say, audible, right? Just by guess, I bet Jesus is delivered in the middle of the night. Other people in the household, I imagine, would have come down to have seen. Maybe they came. But then the narrative shows up, and probably about two miles away, there were shepherds tending to sheep. And as those shepherds were there with those sheep, an angel appeared. The angel comes to them and tells them, here's who has been born. The Christ child has come. Go and see him. Find good news of great joy for all the people. Go and see him. And then the angels, there's this chorus. And then what happens? The shepherds take off. Would have been some shepherds that in some way would have knocked on a door and they would have come. Come all ye faithful. That procession of people coming to see the Christ child took place then and it continues today where we come by faith through grace, where we come in the same chorus to see. And then it talks about how we come. That that next line, how do we come joyful? We come triumphant. I, I love what we read, Luke 2 verse 10. It says, and the angel said to the shepherds, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Like, let me ask you, like when you think of Christmas, like not just family gathering, that's the cultural part, but it's intended essence to remind you and to remind me of the glory of being a follower of Christ. Like when you think of it, Is there real joy? Like, is this story to you? Good news. Great joy. It's a story that is meant for who? It's meant for all the people, which includes you, which includes me. So you come with this sense of joy. The long-awaited one is here, and then we come with what? The reality of triumph. It's fascinating. Jesus here, he's laid in a manger as a child, and then he's called what? King of angels. Jesus' birth did something that no other birth could ever do. It gave us victory. It it gave you and me victory in two specific ways, especially. One, it gives victory over the reality of what the Bible calls sin. It's your and my tendency to look at God and say, I don't need you, want you, believe in you, I'm fine without you, I don't even know if you're real, I don't even know if you're good. or what becomes more and more. Man, people just believe in you because their parents say to the place they were born, where they grew up, the environment they were in, not because you are God of very God. The first way he came and brought triumph is the reality of forgiveness of sin by believing it to be true. And the second place, and this is just to those who believe, the second place is what I would call besetting sin. There's triumph in the reality. If you're here 
And if you believe, if you've ever wondered, man, I just wish this could change. I just wish I could stop. I wish it could turn. I wish God would do something. You know why there's always hope? Because Christ was born in a manger. That he literally came, stepped out of the throne room of heaven to be held in a feeding trough so that you and I would never know loneliness. That you and I would not know the sense of what does it mean to walk by faith apart from God? Anybody here like the Lord of the Rings movies? Right? A couple of us? All right, if not, if you haven't seen it, I highly commend it to you. And then there's the people who are like, no, you should just read the book. I've heard that, but I'm not going to go do that. They're really long, and you got to be really smart to read that. I'm not going to do that. Saw the movies. The second movie, there's this amazing scene. There's this epic battle at the end of the movie where there's the good guys and the bad guys. And this epic battle takes place at at this location called Helm's Deep. I can remember growing up and watching this movie, right? I'm tracking, there's this little hobbit guy named Frodo. He's carrying a ring through everything, but then he's gone off, but yet there's this battle over here, and there's these good guys, like there's this elf guy, this dwarf guy, this magic guy who's kind of far off, a couple other people that I don't really remember, but there was just this epic fight scene. And I can remember thinking, it just keeps going. It was so long. But here's essentially the premise of it. The good guys had gone and they'd gotten in this fort called Helm's Deep. They'd hidden behind these walls and they were doing everything that they could to fight the enemy. They were doing everything that they could to fight back the darkness, but the darkness was overwhelming. The enemy was winning. The bad guys were coming and they were fighting with this pleading heart of despair, knowing I will not win this fight. And you start to sense this. Like, I can remember being a kid and watching this movie and sensing this and thinking, they're going to lose. They can't lose. And there's this moment then in the movie where good guys are fighting in valor, in honor, yet beginning to be overwhelmed. Yet in the movie, there's this scene where it opens up in the valley. And off to the side, there's this hillside. And there's this character by the name of Gandalf. He shows up in this white robe on a white stallion holding a staff and holding a sword. And he just starts to crusade down the side of this mountain with an army behind him. And immediately the enemy is flanked. And I can remember sitting there, leaning on the edge of my seat, thinking, we're going to win. Literally. Loved the movie. That is what Christ has done for you. That is what Christ has done for me. I didn't know it. Even the author back then, I I didn't know this. I didn't believe in Jesus. The author back then meant Gandalf in that moment as an example of the advent of Christ. His first advent and then his future advent, his second coming. Because of Christ, there's this sense of victory. For though we war, we win. And that's why when you sing this, you come and you adore because you come and triumph. You come with joy because you know the debt is paid. The victory is won. Let's look at the second stanza. Let's look at the second stanza. It starts out, sing choirs of angels, sing in exultation. Sing all ye citizens of heaven above, glory to God, glory in the highest. I'm going to read all three. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord. 
as we continue to see this theme where it's appealing for a heart of worship to come and to adore, as you continue to see that, this second stanza, it calls this theme of we sing in exaltation. How you and I, we are meant to sing in exaltation. And what's fascinating is through this song, who sings? It starts out, sing choirs of angels. If you remember from Luke 2 when we read it before, it says, right, the shepherds are there gathered, and then all of a sudden it sets the context in verse 13, and suddenly there was an angel, or excuse me, and there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So you have to imagine there, there's these shepherds that are already terrified and freaked out because one angel showed up. That angel, I think that's Gabriel, right? This angel shows up, tells them the Christ child's been born. And then as that angel is there, it's like other angels just couldn't let Gabriel have the only moment. It's like other angels couldn't hold themselves back. And then this heavenly host, this multitude shows up and there's what would have been the most glorious choir singing to these shepherds right there. What do the shepherds do? They take it and they go. It was fun looking at this, especially understanding the reality of angels, because you know, angels, and if you don't know this, right, if you're a believer in Jesus, one day you will not become an angel. That's not true of you. Angels are created beings. They were created before before our world came into being. Their intention is to worship God Another section of scripture, it was fun looking at this. It's Revelation chapter 9. You you don't have to turn there. Verse 16, it's talking about angels. It it even speaks to how many angels. Revelation 9, 16 says, the number of mounted troops, the context there, that's angels. The number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. This is John who says this, I heard their number. Here's what's fascinating. The book of Revelation says that God in heaven has at his bequest, has at his beckoning, has with him at least, at least 200 million angels. I wonder how many of those angels are a part of some choir or if those angels were like, no, man, I'm just going to sing. So when we come and we sing, who's first invited? A chorus of angels. Who's invited after that? Sing all ye citizens of heaven above. Now, now could that speak to, to believers in the time singing it? Yes, I really think that what he's speaking to, all the citizens in heaven at that time. Who would that be? Saints, believers in Christ who had died and who had passed away. Do you, do you see what this stands of doing? It's combining this divine chorus of beauty where there's angels, and now you have saints that had passed away. Like, you have to think through. Who would be in heaven? Because what we know in, in biblical reality is even from heaven, you are not without time. You are engaged. You have a mindset. You remember your life. You can look down into the reality of the events of the world. Imagine from heaven. How Adam, if you don't know Old Testament, right? How Adam at the beginning of the earth, he would have seen the Christ child be born. 
Imagine what it would have been like for Moses to have led God's people to from heaven to look down and see the Christ child be born. Imagine what it would have been like for King David, a man after God's own heart, yet foolish in his own ways, to look down and see the Christ child being born. The person that I think, as I was studying on this, imagine what it would have been like to have been Abraham, all ye citizens of heaven above, to sing and to look down. If you don't know the story of Abraham, right, there's a kid's song about him, right? But he's essentially the father of Israel. He's the first one where God comes to him. It's Genesis 12, and he says, go out, and from him I will bring blessing to all the nations. The blessing will come through Christ, through the people of God. He has high moments. He has low moments. One of the things that he does with Abraham is God promises him a son, even though he's old age, even though his wife was presumed barren. And there's this moment where God says to Abraham, hey, Abraham, sacrifice your boy. Abraham would have gotten a son, son Isaac, taken him, got a bundle of sticks, flint and a knife, and he took a walk. And there's this moment where his son on the way even says to Abraham, hey, but father, where's the lamb? Where's the sacrifice? Abraham's answer, God will provide. Imagine Abraham's there. He's seen Mary and Joseph walk to Bethlehem. He's seen the idea. He's known the prophecies, but he's not God. He doesn't fully know what's about to take place, and he's looking down on the moment. I wonder if it brought him back to the time where he got to the mountainside. He took his boy Isaac there, and he knew, this is where I sacrifice my son. And the moment where he pulls back the knife and then goes to bring the knife down, that God calls out and he stays his hand in this theme of Abraham, your boy won't die. But one day, my boy will. Can you imagine all you citizens above singing what Abraham looking down might have felt in the reality of this is the one that has come to die for my sins? for the sins of humanity, to remake all of this. What should Abraham do? Sing in exultation. What should that create? Come and adore. Fight the distraction of the season and fight to come and adore. And then what's the final reminder? You and me. We join the choir of angels. We join the citizens of heaven, and we sing in the reality of glory to God. He's deserving of it all. You sent your son, and you thought of me, my foolishness, my brokenness. Why I love that thought is it should change how we sing the chorus. It should change, oh, come, let us adore him, who is now the us. It's not just you. It's not just me. It's those three groups. Do you know that this song has been translated? It's been written 1760, over 250 years. It's been translated in more than 125 languages. You sing this song with a history of the people of God going back two and a half centuries. It's meant to evoke this sense that you sing with the heavenly realm. Now, when we sing this, does that mean angels sing with us? Does that mean believers who have passed sing with us? That's not what it's saying. 
It doesn't have the authority to teach that. Maybe. Maybe. And that type of mind, what should that create in me in this season? What should that create in you? I've come to adore. I have come to adore the kindness and the majesty that he would do that for me. Let's look at the third stanza. Let's keep going. Yea, Lord, we greet thee, born this happy morning. So y'all know Jesus was born at night. Born this happy morning. Jesus to thee be all glory given. Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. I'm going to say it all three times. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Who? Christ, the Lord. The third truth is we just see this this beckoning, this call, this appeal in you and me to come and to adore Christ. It's we glory in who? We glory in Christ. What does it mean to glory? To give praise, to give tribute, to give honor, to ascribe majesty and glory, praiseworthiness. He is everything. And he left the throne room of heaven for you and for me. He left the right hand of the Father to come for the joy set before him, to endure the shame of the cross, to come and find a people who would come to trust him, to follow him, to say they believe, and then in this moment of greatest need, they're on a cross. They scattered. Like you have to see it, it is, is incarnation, at his birth, people come. What happened at his death? The people closest, Peter, disciples, they fled. The ones he came to save. Living in that reality, glory to him. It's fascinating, though, seeing those final two lines, word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. That is literally a different way to say Christmas. Word of the Father, if you know your Bible or you grew up reading it, anything like that, you'll connect with that language. It's speaking to John chapter 1. It's speaking to one of the names that's given to Jesus Christ, how Christ had eternally existed before the foundation of the world, how he is a God, a very God, how there is unity. Uh, He's not born of. He's always existed eternally, that everything has been made through him and for him. It says in John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the Father, full of grace, full of truth. Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. It's speaking to the spiritual reality of what takes place Christmas morning. It's this theological concept that that if you understand it, it should change everything. This technical term, you don't have to know this, hypostatic union. Here's, Here's what it means. Word of the Father, Jesus Christ came, fully God of fully God. God himself, righteous in every way, removing some of the advantages 
of his deity, but never losing his deity. Always God. Why did he have to stay God? Why did he have to be born of a virgin? Because he had to live the perfect and the sinless life to where when he died, he died once for all sins. Is the perfect sacrifice. He had to be God so as to lay his life down and then to take it back up again and rise from the grave three days later. It is essential that you see at the birth of Christ the deity, the godness of Jesus. Word of the Father. But what you also must see now in flesh appearing. The reality that he was born in a manger Right, right after birth, one of the things that you always want to hear as a sign of health is a loud cry. It shows the lungs are working, that the baby's healthy. You want to see a loud and hear a loud cry. Mary and Joseph would have looked for a loud cry. He would have scraped his knee. He would have grown up. He would have known loneliness. He would have known despair and hunger and tired. He would have been fully human so as to endure the reality of temptation like you and like me. And yet, because he's God, never with sin. It speaks to the idea that he had become flesh because he had to die for us. A sacrifice had to be paid and he had to die for us. Grasping that reality is, is what creates this link between he's born in a manger. So years later, he can die on a cross. And from that cross, he could say about you and he could say about me, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He, he's born in a manger so he could die on a cross. So every ounce of my sinfulness, my selfishness, my, my foolishness, Every ounce of my entitlement, my indifference towards the things of God, though he stepped into history and appeals to me to believe, to take seriously the things that he loves, and I just don't care as much, that he would say, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We glory in Christ in a way that makes us come and adore because guys, the reason Advent exists, the reason we have this season, the reason the whole thing's come is there's a God in heaven who loves you. Like he really does love you. And if you've grown up knowing that and even hearing that, you're like, yeah, yeah, I know that. It is washed over your soul to where you're calloused. He was born in a manger to forgive you of your callousness, your hard-heartedness, your coldness. My ability to somehow mix real faith, real love with this cultural view of what Christmas has become. He was born to die for all of it. And if he hadn't, we lose. If he hadn't, there's no good ending to Lord of the Rings 2. If he hadn't, Christmas carols, Christmas songs, the beauty of Advent season to me, there wouldn't have been a time where it changed. We come and we adore. That is the intention. That is the heart. That is the goal. We do that because we triumph. In him, we come in triumph. There's a victory. Like you're forgiven and free. The worst part of you or the part of you, and this is what I think a lot of this, this room 
if I can meddle a little bit. I don't know if this room has the one thing where they just think, oh man, I can never tell somebody, even though I know that totally exists. But even the parts of you that you know you're more sinful than what you ever lead on, you know you have brokenness in your life and you're too fearful to deal with it because you don't live in the reality of what triumph means because of Jesus. You have victory. You have triumph. You can peddle with the things of God and he's still passionately in love with you. Why? Because when he sees you, he looks through his son. We come in a door because we come in triumph. We come in a door because we sing in exultation. There is a history of saints that we join in the resounding theme of glory to God in the highest. For centuries, people have been reading Luke 2. Praise God for the truth of that. For centuries, saints in heaven have been grateful that there's a Christmas story. We join a choir of angels. We sing in exultation. And then finally, we glory in Christ. Why? We'll talk about this next week. I'll tip my hat to it. Born that man no more may die. We have life. That's why in now in flesh appearing, we have life in its newness. It's what brings us to, in triumph, joy. I'll close with this. I can remember there was a time in, in, in 2011 when I trusted Christ and I came back. I, I went to a, a, a church service at a Methodist church in North Georgia. It was wonderful. I didn't give two thoughts about it before I got there, what to expect, what it would be like. I didn't give anything like that. But I can remember going there, and for the first time, not because of anything in me, but, 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 but because of a quickening of my soul by the Holy Spirit, I actually heard the lyrics. I actually understood for the first time what it meant to be born in a manger. I actually understood for the first time, despite my, my years, decades of just wicked sinfulness, despite my indifference, despite my religious confusing of friends and family around me as I said I was a Christian and I just wasn't, that I finally came and I sung, I finally came and I held a candle. And it was, it's not because of what I do. It's because of what you've done. I, I do nothing to earn the light of a candle. That light is given to me. But from that light it brings forth. And I can remember, I didn't think the lyrics of O Come All Ye Faithful, but I can remember just having in my mind, I want to adore. Like if you're here, I think people generally, we fall into four categories. People who won, you hear this and you're just indifferent. You don't really care. You don't really believe. I love you're here. What you should know is God loves you. He cares about you. Even though you don't say you care about him, he cares about you. You're a sinner in need of him. The way back to him is repentance by faith. Faith in him is what saves you. Faith in him is what takes, uh, when you're driving down a street, and some houses have Christmas lights and some houses don't. I'm not hating on people without Christmas lights, by the way. What happens in the soul of a person when they come to faith in Christ, it's like they get Christmas lights. There's a light in the midst of the darkness that you can see 
when instead other houses on the neighborhood, there's a darkness to it. Now, I just use that as a visual reminder, not speaking to the people inside. That is what he wants for you. I think the second group of people are the people who, for like me, man, you grew up, and man, you know these songs, you know these carols, you have them down, you have them memorized, you get it, and yet you do not know Jesus Christ, because when you think of him, there's no joy, there's no triumph, there's no real peace. He absolutely wants to change that. That comes by faith. Third category, I think, is people who we really believe, we really love. Like Jesus is true. Christmas, our hearts come near to him. We get excited. Yet due to the distraction of this world and things that aren't always even bad, as well as the ways that we give our hearts to sin, we grow cold. We grow indifferent. Though God wants no distance from us, that's all we feel. Here's what you have to know. You are loved. He wants joy and triumph for you. He wants freedom. And where does that come from? By repentance, by faith. You have the relationship with him. He wants that to be warm. That is why he came. And then the fourth category those of us who hear, yes, we are imperfect, we are broken, we have tremendous room to grow, no ounce of, well, there is self-righteousness, but we try to kill the self-righteousness, but when we hear this song, our heart pleads, help me to adore, help me to come, help me in the midst of the season to fight the drift and see you, why? You are the only one who loved me when I was unlovable, you are the only one who brought light to my darkness, you are the only one in the ache of my soul that can bring satisfaction. And we plead to adore more. We plead to come with this heart of gratitude that the only reason you, we come is because he first came. Let me pray, and then we're gonna sing this song one more time. Father, I thank you for the truth of what poetry and melody can mean in our lives. I thank you of how you've come to set hearts free, how we want to out of that come and adore you, how we, we have triumph, not because of anything that we've done, but because of what you did, how we have victory, how in that there's joy. God, this season, we're pleading with you for more joy. We're pleading with you for a heart to rejoice. We need your help to do that. I need your help to do that. Father, we come and we want to join a chorus. We want our life to sing and make melody, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to the Lord, singing and making music. We want that to be our life as we join a choir of angels, of citizens above, and all ye faithful. We thank you for the lineage. Father, we come and we glory in you, your son, Jesus Christ, born in a manger, word of the Father. He came from heaven to be born in a manger, now in flesh appearing. He came that I, he might know the reality of a sense of loneliness that we could feel, desperation, a longing for the Father, yet, yet never with sin, 
yet to better connect with a sinner like me. We thank you for that truth. We ask that you'd come and you would help us to adore.